You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 16. Well, hey there, welcome back to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and as always, I am honored and grateful that you are allowing me to spend a little bit of your day with you. This podcast episode is sponsored by the PMO Impact Summit, our free live virtual event that is specifically targeted to help PMO leaders around the world make a bigger impact with their PMO. Go check it out at PMOImpactSummit.com and get ready to learn a ton of ways you can make a big impact with your PMO. It's PMOImpactSummit.com and when the event is live, it is a free opportunity to get tons and tons of training to help you with your PMO. So today we are talking to Colin D. Ellis. Colin is an international award-winning project management speaker and author and helps organizations around the world to build delivery cultures that everyone actually wants to be a part of. Imagine that. He does that now because for 30 years, he was a permanent employee of other people's delivery cultures in the UK, New Zealand, and Australia. And most of them were, well, not so great. Sound familiar? He's written three best-selling project management books, including his latest one, The Project Book, and speaks with energy, passion, humor, and thank goodness, honesty. Remember what that was all about? (laughs) About the challenges that organizations face in creating project leaders and the cultures required to deliver successfully every time. Born in Liverpool, UK, Colin now lives with his family in Melbourne, Australia. And what we're going to talk about today, I think, is incredibly important. So, Colin, I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you for having me on, Laura. It's great to be here. So, Colin and I are going to talk today about EQ, emotional intelligence, and everything that goes with that but from the perspective of you as a PMO leader and what you need to be thinking about, what EQ even means anyway, and how it specifically applies to all of you that are in the role in driving change, helping to deliver organizational strategy and you know, lead people with the PMO. So Colin, before we dive in, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience today about you and your background and all of your great experience? <laughs> yeah, I didn't recognize that guy you were talking about. I was like, who is that guy? <laughs> this is going to be good. Although everyone's expectations are really high now. I was like, yeah, wow. You got to live up, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I think the only thing that I would add, Laura, is that... Uh, kind of over the, particularly, tw- you know, the last 20 years of my, you know, I've been working with myself for four years, but for the 20 years before that, you know, I really started from absolute zero, like most project managers, you know, I, I didn't have a clue. I was plucked out of a telesales environment in a newspaper in Liverpool where I lived in England and, and, you know, kind of really crafted a career based on being a good human being creating great teams, but then staying on top of the technical knowledge that I needed as well. So, you know, I really, I really associate with, you know, project managers, program managers, PMO managers. I was a senior executive in government. So I understand all government challenges. 
um you know and 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 it, it's just been a never-ending moving kind of feast in the project management world at least at least for 20 years and, and no doubt that won't end anytime soon right right well you know and i like that i like how you're talking about it as just you know you just try to be a good human being and i think that i remember back when i built my first pmo back in 1999 and i had no idea what i was doing mm. i was plopped down in the middle of the dot-com craziness, the Y2K craziness, and trying to just figure out how in the world to help this organization I was working in deliver all of these client projects. And everything was new. And you couldn't just go to Google like you can today. That's right. That's right. And just say, how do I build a PMO? And get like, you know, I did it. It was 8 million results about wow. how to build a PMO. I was blown away. Wow. I you know, Google technically existed, but nobody really knew about it back mm. in the late nineties. And, you know, there were, I didn't have access to books. I didn't have access to training. I just, I didn't have access to all the brilliant thought leaders that I do today. And it was really hard to kind of figure it out and, you know, learn from mistakes and, you know, try and figure out the right way to do it. So I'm really glad to hear that you have that experience because I think that when you have to figure it out on your own, there's so much to be said for, the way you actually internalize the lessons along the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And I think, you know, and I, you know, I was the same, you know, 56 K modem in my bedroom using a net yeah. browser and, and kind of like us um, trying to come up with something when, yeah. you know, and you, you just couldn't get, you know, I was going to the library, but the, the resources really weren't there. And, and, you know, really what we learned to do in those early days, uh, Laura, and I'm not pining for the good old days, don't get me wrong, because there's so much yeah. now online, definitely, definitely not, um, is being quiet in a library, really not my thing. Uh, but but it forced you in a position where you, you had to kind of work together to say, well, what do we need to co-create? For, for us, to, you know, particularly when I started as a project manager, we had four years to get a load of systems in around the UK. I was like, well, how, just like, how are we going to do this? And because no one had the answers, you know, and we were coming off the back of very command and control structures, you know, kind of, that's the way that baby boomers had grown up. And they were like, just tell them to wind their heads in and do it. If you just tell them, they'll do it. And it's like, uh, yeah, yeah no, that, that's not, that's not working. Have you got any other ideas? <laughs> People telling you to build influence and all of that kind of stuff. And you realized very, very quickly that you had to get to know the people that you were working with in a way that you could then change your style to suit them in that scenario. And only then could you use influence. Right. Right. Mm. So I think this is really, you know, I consider you a thought leader in the leadership space specifically for project managers and PMO leaders. And you talk about emotional intelligence. And, and as a matter of fact, you are a speaker at this year's PMO Impact Summit. So if you guys are listening and you have not signed up for the free PMO Impact Summit coming this September, go do so right now. PMOImpactSummit.com. You can register for free so you can watch all these 
sessions when they go live in September. And Colin's session is fantastic. And I'm not going to let him give away all the secrets today, but I do want to share with the audience about emotional intelligence, what it really means, and some things, some quick, you know, some takeaways and some things that we can think about with respect to how we lead because PMO leaders, you should be leading, right? So talk to me a little bit about what EQ even means anyway. Well, you know, and, and the people with high EQ are the people that we look up to. Laura, these are the people that are, that are in our lives and we say, oh, we want to be like them, right? Yeah. You know, I had, a bunch of, I had a bunch of bosses like that. I was like, how do I get like, how do I get like that person? You know, what traits do they have? And, you know, you know, EQ is the kind of capacity to be aware, capacity to be aware of and control one's emotions uh, and to build relationships empathetically and judiciously, which is a very long way of saying you've got to be a really good human being. You've got to listen. You've got to change your style based on the person that you're talking to. You've got to find ways to inspire and motivate all of these people. And, you know, it's just the, the stuff that I talk about in, in, in the session. And oh, and by the way, who doesn't sign up for a free summit? Like seriously, it's free. <laughs> just sign up like immediately. Just, just pause this podcast and go and sign up if you haven't already. Have a word with yourself. What are you doing? Um, and so... <laughs> And by the way, I just want to say really quick that when we did this last year, people were blown away by the quality of the content and the fact that they had access to it for a lot longer than most summits. Most summits will be, you know, two or three days or even a one day and you just get access to it and that's it. Our summit runs for two weeks straight. So you get a long time to watch sessions and we have new sessions that come out every couple of days. And I have done a lot of the recordings for this year's already with our speakers. The content is phenomenal. I am so excited to share all this with everyone. So yeah, it's a no brainer. Definitely go sign up so you can catch all of this content and hear the the details of what Colin's going to talk a little bit about today. Yeah, and that's an, an, another sign of emotionally intelligent people is we're constantly looking at ways to better ourselves. I remember reading yeah. uh, Drive by Dan Pink, and he said, ask yourself, are you a little bit better than you were yesterday? And I love that. You know, I love that because what we're not trying to do is to create dramatic change in our lives you know this concept of emotional intelligence is we're getting just a little bit better every single day so you know emotional intelligence is 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 a choice it's it's a skill that we can all learn um and and that's the same the same applies to leadership leadership is not a development program they're the choices that you make to make a positive difference to people's lives mm, mm, exactly and you know you said something there that i want to really dig into for a second which was uh, changing your communication style, depending on who you're talking to, who you're leading, the situation you're leading in. And one of the things that I teach people uh, around bringing change to organizations and when you're building and running your PMO, you need to think about changing or adapting your management style and your management and leadership styles, both mm. based on how familiar people are with the change. So if it's something where you're leading change and it's the same kind of a project that you've done before and people are familiar with it and they're in a familiar environment and the outcomes of this change are not going to rock their worlds completely, then you can lead in a different way than you need to lead if people are extremely unfamiliar or unsure or fearful about that change. Can you talk about that a little bit and from your perspective and the whole way that you communicate with people differently, having your EQ hat on? 
Yeah, sure. So there's, there's two things there, firstly, is, firstly, sorry, two things. Firstly, is that um, from a personality perspective, we're all ever so slightly different. So you, you look at Carl Jung's work on theory of personality in the 20s and, and 30s, and what he found is that we are thinking people or feeling people. We make our decision based on sensing and intuition, and we respond to social situations through introversion and extroversion. So we're a mix of all of these things. So fundamentally, there are four traits. You know, you're either an action person, so you like detail, you like methods, you like process, you like structure. You're a people person, you like harmony, you like to understand the value of something, you want to make sure things are done for the right reason. You're an action person, you like logic to make decisions and you just want to get stuff done. Or you're a social person, you're kind of highly creative you use storytelling and you're great at facilitating and speaking. So we're a mix of all of these things. And so that we forget, Laura, that when we deliver a message, you're not just speaking to you. Because when we deliver a message, we deliver it in our default style. So I'm a high extrovert. So I have lots of stories, lots of energy, lots of positivity, lots of arm waving. Give me a set of whiteboard pens and I'm drawing all over boards and stuff, which is great for people like me. People like me are going to be like, oh my God, that was so awesome. It was inspirational. It was motivational. Introverts are like, yeah, no, no thanks. You know, they put their headphones on, they're blocking <laughs> me out. They're like, yeah, nah, go away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really about recognizing the person that you're talking to and thinking, okay, well, what kind of style do I have to adopt? You know, and as a professional project management speaker, you know, I've got to deliver a speech that takes into consideration everybody's style. So that's the first thing. The second thing then is crafting a message based on what you think your audience knows. Now I know when I'm speaking to project managers, to PMO managers, the level of the information that they've got about their job is akin to someone with about 15 years of experience. They generally know, even junior project managers have got about five to 10 years worth of knowledge, even if they haven't been in the profession that time. But often when, exactly as you say, when we're selling change or when we're trying to influence change, particularly in the technology space, we've got business people who still don't know how to use an iPad, let alone how to use new functionality on SAP. So you've got to dumb the message right down. You've got to remove all acronyms. You've got to remove all buzzwords. And you've got to bring the conversation down to a level that they understand it and then deliver it in a way that their personality appreciates and we are not taught to do any of this stuff. Um, yeah. So that's something, it's a critical skill that all project managers, all people really need, uh, and, and yet we're never taught how to do it. Yeah, so, you know, that is so important, and I'm curious as to your thoughts as to why we haven't really focused on soft skills, and I know that there's a lot of PMO leaders, and I know even when I was in a PMO role, I sought out training, leadership and management development training, both myself and tried to get in every program I could when I was inside organizations to develop my leadership competencies, et cetera. But I had to be a pretty aggressive and go after it in order to learn those things. Why do you think it's not really a focus as much as making sure we have a PMP or making sure that we have some other certification we're making sure we know how to all use all the latest technology and tools. Why do you think we're not focusing as much on those soft skills if they're so critical? Two, two reasons, really, um, Laura, is firstly, uh, organizations hire in the wrong way. So when mm. we hire project managers, we're like, uh, project management required, 
must must be PMP certified. Project right. certified must have SharePoint experience. Like why? You're not hiring a SharePoint SME. So that's right. the first thing is what, we, what we're looking for is a degree of technical knowledge. Now, don't get me wrong, right? I'm not saying you shouldn't have that. You should right. have your PMP and you should, you know, if, you, if you're going to work in technology and you want to work on SharePoint projects, you should know how to kind of all of the detail of that. So you've got to have that. So, but that's the first thing. We're not hiring good human beings to know how to communicate and create great teams. That's secondary because of the second thing is we love our quick fixes and mm. we've loved them for the last 20 years. And the Standish Group found this is that what we've done as organizations around the world and, and you know, certainly in my research and certainly in the work that I've done is no one is exempt from this. And we're doing exactly the same with Agile is what was what we're saying now is a great example is what we need is is faster value delivery to the customer right that's what we're mm -hmm. saying as organizations now the way to get a value quicker to the customer is to listen more is to remove some of the bureaucracy is to have a different mindset about the way that we've done things in the past and try one or two different things instead what we do is send everyone on scrum course and then expect things to change overnight, even though we never challenge the behaviors of the individuals who have held us back in the first place. Because let's face it, the organizations that are successful today, they're not doing agile. Google aren't doing agile. Spotify aren't going agile. Netflix aren't going agile because they built cultures that continually improve without the need for quick fixes. Um, and so I think that the sooner that organizations get over themselves and realize that actually just implementing the latest method du jour isn't the answer and investment in soft skills and team building skills is, that's when we'll start to see the improvement in projects. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you talked about that. For some people, I think we need to say that again. And I personally think that Agile implementation methodology and a lot of those mindsets that come in the Agile manifesto and even, you know, implementing Scrum and that kind of thing, all of that is fantastic. However, you don't need to be the latest methodology du jour in order to drive effective change, deliver on your organization's strategy. It's not about the templates, the tools, the process, the methodology you choose. It's about people. And I think that's so important. I want to just keep saying that. Hey, everyone, it's about the people. <laughs> it's about leading the change. It's about being the change. It's about being a part of the change. It's about knowing how to engage with your stakeholders and your sponsor and your team members. That's what makes stuff happen. Some yeah. of my favorite program managers and project managers I've ever worked with when I was constantly in hiring mode as a PMO leader, I were, were people that you couldn't pin them down to a particular process. If you, you know, it took forever just for me to get some of those folks PMP certified. And the same thing that you mentioned actually in your presentation that we recorded about the project schedule was in your head, right? And your boss yeah, didn't like yeah. that so much. Oh my gosh, my favorite leaders that were project managers and program managers were kind of like that. But you know what? They could, they could engage people. They could really become a trusted advisor to the teams that they were working with. Stakeholders would say, I just want to work with that person because they always solve my problems. And none of it had to do with whether or not their plan was 
you know, a thousand lines versus 2000 lines. And it wasn't about if they were checking all the boxes on which templates were being used. It wasn't about having everything in a tool. It wasn't about, you know, and even back then scrum or agile versus waterfall. None of that mattered. It was yeah. all about, could, did they have the relationships? Did they build the trust and could they bring people with them through the change process? That's so true. But you see, we, we don't, you know, every time I do, you know, I do this thing called a Project Leadership Academy, and it's basically a week's intensive program for project managers, program managers, and sponsors, right? Because sponsors yeah. still don't get it. There's an assumption that as soon as you're a senior manager, you know how to be a sponsor, right? And they're like, oh, it's right. like a different hat. It's like, no, it really isn't. Um, is we don't teach this. So, you know, in writing the project book, what I did was I broke down every single aspect of what it takes to lead Laura so you know how to be humble how to be yourself how to understand your own values how to give yourself a break how to change your communication style how to make sure there's a bit of fun a bit of humor how to act like an entrepreneur all of this stuff right and then mm -hmm. I did the same for teamwork is how to create different teams you know when I say that the number one job of a project manager is to motivate and inspire a group of people to do great work there isn't yeah. a method on the planet that does that. Wow. You still need yeah. them, but it's all of the other stuff you need to inspire and motivate me. You know, some people get feel a sense of satisfaction when they know they've got a process to follow. Those are those detail people. But mm -hmm. still, you've got a light and fire inside them to say, this is what we're working on. This is what we're aiming for. You're going to be a part of it. It's going to be a big success. Let's go. And people are like, yeah, come on. <laughs> Yeah, so so let's talk about that a little bit because mm. I think we're onto something here. Uh, but I can almost hear those that are listening. I love my PMO audience. I call them impact drivers because if they've gone through a lot of the earlier podcast episodes, they're shifting their mindsets to become more PMO leaders and making a big impact with the PMO. But I know that some of them might be thinking, yeah, but. I have this little term I refer to as the yeah, but monster. And that little monster is sitting there in the back of your mind every once in a while, especially if you're tired, especially if you're frustrated, especially if you feel like you're in a change resistant culture, especially all those things. And by the way, if you are feeling any of those things, definitely listen to Beth Jenley's recording uh, as a part of the summit about burnout because it's a really important topic. And she talks about some really great things to do to kind of recognize burnout and get out of it. Anyway, but a lot of those people listening could be in the, one of those positions where they are tired, they are frustrated, they feel like they're leading and yet nobody's following. So how can PMO leaders listening today think about just how do you inspire people, right? And mm. I know that an important part is you got to feel it yourself, but what do they do? Like, what are the, what are the, like the top three things that you could say, okay, here's how you inspire people because it feels like, and again, I don't want them checking boxes, right? They got to yeah. feel it first, yeah. but what do you do to kind of shift to that mindset, especially if you're feeling a little frustrated in your current role? Uh, so God, three things. What do I, what, what do I want to settle on here? So <laughs> the, the first, the first thing is you've got to be great at your job. Yeah. Uh, you do because People feel safe 
people feel motivated if they know that you know what you're doing and there's too much average in the project management world honestly mm-hmm. you know being brutally honest you know and i i like to joke about it on stage all the time but i'm deadly serious when i say that we've tolerated too many poor project managers and too many poor project sponsors for too long so i think if you can be really really good at your job so understand all of the facets of the kind of person you need to be and of all of your technical skills people feel motivated by that from an inspirational perspective, certainly from a, from a PMO, is you've got to understand the strategic endeavors and talk about the support that you bring and the support that you provide with energy and passion. Because if you can't talk energetically and passionately about the work that you're doing, no one will ever, ever feel it. Now, often the yeah, but crew, right? And so I had a question at a conference not so long ago, Laura, and someone said, oh, but what happens if you're not confident? As like, you've got to practice until you are confident. It's never yeah. going to feel natural because your DNA doesn't want to do it, right? In the same way that my DNA doesn't want to read a financial report. Mm-hmm. But you've got to do it enough times to be really, really good at it um, yeah. so that people feel the passion. And then the third thing is when you're delivering that message, make sure, as I mentioned before, you change your style based on the audience that you're talking to so that the message immediately resonates and you gain this thing called buy-in. Mm, Oh my gosh, there's so much goodness in there. So on the confidence thing, I think I'll share a quick story about that for me because I am in, what is it? An extroverted introvert, I think. Um, (laughs) An ambivert, yes. (laughs) I'm I'm very, I I like my quiet time. I need my downtime. I need my time, time to think. I need to process things. But my, frankly, my career as a PMO leader I wasn't getting where I wanted to go in my career by uh, kind of doubling down on my introvertedness, right? Mm. So I started forcing myself to be more extroverted and, you know, at least in the situations where I needed to be. Now, for those that are true introverts, extroverting all day can be exhausting, (laughs) but you learn to manage that too, get sleep and nutrition and all of that exercise. But but I found that to build that confidence, it really was, some of it was fake it till you make it, right? We've heard that before. Some of it was, if I don't feel confident, but I'm acting confident and others believe in me because I'm, fe- you know, I'm showing confidence, then that will kind of be a self-perpetuating positive cycle of, you know, kind of, they believe in me. Okay. Do I know what I'm doing? Okay. I really do. Okay. We've got this. And another way that I did this, actually, I used to be terrified of public speaking. Now this was a big one, terrified. Now I speak, I do keynotes all over the place. I speak all the time. I have a podcast. I have all the things. I've been through some pretty hefty professional speaking programs and I love it now. It's exhilarating. I still get a little anxious because I want to make sure that I'm serving the audience well. But when I first started, I was terrified. I was speaking on a panel. This was years ago now when I was still an employee, uh, but I was asked to speak on a panel for the PMI chapter I was sitting on the board for. And I was so terrified that I made one of my dear friends, Mike Hannon, who's also a big part of the summit, rehearse with me and practice me answering questions that I might be asked. And all of that was because I didn't actually, I don't know, I kind of had a little of this imposter syndrome. Do I really know what I'm talking about and all of that? So he rehearsed with me, rehearsed with me. I finally get there. He sits in the front row. There's three, 400 people in the room. And I start answering questions. And as I was answering these questions, all of a sudden it hit me. 
holy cow, I really do know what I'm talking about here. This is actually based on my experience running PMOs for years and teaching and coaching and developing project managers. And the people in the audience were eating it up. And it, was, and it finally hit me because I took a moment to reflect in all of that chaos. Oh, I do actually know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I can really help these people. We can solve problems together. And so it was really just me allowing myself to realize I actually know what I'm doing and I'm good at it. Mm. Let me help people. And so if you get out of your head, a lot of us, especially those introverts, we get in our head or we feel this imposter syndrome or why doesn't anyone want to, you know, why would anyone want to listen to me or who am I to lead the change? If we just get out of our heads and focus on those that we're trying to help, then it becomes so much easier. Once I stopped trying to focus on my own anxieties and focused on the people I wanted to serve, the people I wanted to impact, it made a huge difference for uh, my ability to lead, to inspire, to be passionate, because it was all about those that I wanted to help. So I just wanted to share that story with our audience here today because I think it's such an important part when we talk about how do we build that confidence just stop focusing on you and focus on the people you want to help and you know double down on your strengths and leverage your strengths to go help those people and make an impact and then it becomes so much easier because you're in your place of goodness and you're serving others and that feels fantastic that's right and 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 so much of what we've learned within project management doesn't focus on that stuff or almost to come full circle the emphasis is all of on the technical, technical, technical. So by breaking down those soft skills and showing people, here's a bunch of stuff that you've got to do, what you can almost do, you know, through the book is go mark down, well, I've got to practice that, I've got to do that, I've got to do that. Humility, I don't do that well. I've got a friend who's not really good at, at saying sorry. Um, yeah. You know, and I prompt him every now and again. It's like, how many times have you said sorry this week, mate? Can you shut up? <laughs> like, well, there you go. There's another one. Um, so, so by focusing on that, we really give people those insights on on how to inspire and motivate and just feel that little bit challenged to be yeah. amazing every day. Yeah, that's so great. So, and I think uh, something important you said about you help others feel safe and motivated. And I really like that safety thing because when people feel like they can trust you, then they're willing to let their guards down enough to get beyond their own barriers and start participating and coming with you through the change. And so that, you know, kind of that core of Maslow's hierarchy of needs really matters. That feeling of safety and security because you can't go past that. You can't evolve past that. You can't get to the outcomes unless you've got that core sense of feeling safe. So I really am glad you brought that up. That was so important. Yeah. And that's something that we didn't do very well in the past, the psychological safety. It was just an yeah. add-on. Um, and yet we know that we do our best work when we feel safe. Um, mm -hmm. We know that when you can create the kind of environment where people can share um, and it's okay to fail and there's no blame throwing, um, then you're going to be able to do your best work time and time again. Oh, so good. So good. So there's something you said about sponsors and, you know, we just assume that they know how to do this role. Yeah. And I think that's a really important one. I actually created a course that's inside my membership called How to Train Your Sponsor. And I wrote a couple of articles about it because, and I definitely will be doing some podcast episodes on it because 
that was one thing that I found that was really interesting to me when I was leading PMOs and I'd go in, a lot of times I was doing rescue work and that kind of thing. And often what I found is that the sponsors were just kind of put into a role, just like some of the program and project managers sometimes, poof, you're a project manager. They were put into the role of sponsor, poof, you're a sponsor. And nobody really took the time to say, and here's what that means. So, and even if they did, it was so focused on, well, you sign off on things, you write checks, you do this. It was all that tactical and practical stuff and not about leading the people through the change and being ever present and moving the change forward and championing the change and removing barriers and asking questions like, how might we solve this problem? So I think that it's really important that you're kind of connecting all this together with what our PMO leaders are thinking about and talking about, which is leading change and being a part of change and helping your sponsor understand their role in all of that, because many of them don't. Yeah, that's right. And and so the second half of, of the book, Laura, I talk about the, you know, the kind of three things that sponsors uh, have to do, which is stewardship to make sure they steer the ship in the right direction. I mean, they're accountable, not responsible. So it's about right. kind of them being a role model for what the change is. Um, right. decisions. So, you know, making sure they've got enough information to make the right decision at the right time. And then results is make sure you actually go and get the benefits of whatever it was that you undertook. And, you know, as a former project manager, program manager, PMO manager, I thought, well, well as soon as I'm a sponsor, I got this because I know what yeah. I expect and I know what I need to do. And yet in, in one of my first exec roles in government and became a sponsor, all of a sudden, there was pressure on me to do certain things that I didn't agree with. And I'm like, all oh, right, this is how this works, is it? So we yeah. want to do this project. Yeah, now nah, there's no return on investment. No, the CEO wants to do it. Oh, yeah, I know the CEO wants to do it, but there's no return on investment. No, Colin, the CEO wants to do it. And I'm like, yeah. oh, so this is, I'm like a political pawn here. So this is going to go <laughs> to the dogs and I'm going with it. Is that the way that it works? And we have permanent project managers who, you know, might manage three or four projects at any one time, but I'm shuffling, I'm sponsoring four or five projects and then I've got a day job on top of that. Yeah. And so the quantity of stuff, and I had to step back and I had said, I had to change the rules because one of the rules we had was anybody below a certain level couldn't sponsor projects. They didn't have the delegated financial authority. So I had to write a memo to the CEO to get that changed so that members of my leadership team could also be sponsors. And what we did was we, we spread the accountability wider and then made sure that we demonstrated the behaviors to, to support what project managers needed in order to, to bring projects in on time. Mm, you know, and that's a really important thing I think that our audience needs to remember is that you know, we, we see it from our perspective. I remember being a PMO leader and a project manager and saying, man, I can't get on my sponsor's calendar and they're too busy. Well, imagine, you know, put yourself in their shoes for a minute. Imagine they've got a full-time job doing whatever it is, running whatever business unit they're running and the uh, team of people they're supposed to be managing and leading. And then on top of that, on top of their already packed schedule, they've got all of these additional responsibilities to help 
lead and shepherd projects through to completion and deliver on organizational strategy in the role of sponsor. And that's a lot, especially if they don't understand their role. So, you know, when push comes to shove, they might say, well, if I don't keep the engines running, so I better focus on that, you know, that's where my energy needs to go. Because if I don't do that, I don't have a job. And so then they kind of don't really understand their role as sponsor or how to engage or how important it is. So they let that kind of you know, yeah. go to the wayside. And then, you know, and that's where a lot of these problems happen. And from our perspective, we don't even think about the fact that, gee, they've already had 12 meetings today. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But then they also, they also don't do themselves any favors by just not getting involved or yeah. just not telling you some of the pressures right. that they're under either. Um, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, as we kind of wrap up all of this, I think that, that we've, we've given folks some good ideas, some things to think about, some perspective. I'm always about kind of shifting the mindset a little bit every day. Think a little bit differently today about how you can lead people through change and the role of PMO leaders to be impact drivers in organizations. The one thing that I think it's important for us to talk a bit about is expectations management for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So one thing that I know that you say is, are you a little bit better today than yesterday? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it's all about is kind of that evolution as opposed to revolution. It's yes. an, an all evolving process, but what advice would you have for PMO leaders listening today? Um, you know, about kind of managing expectations for themselves and going on this journey of being more of a emotionally intelligent leader. So I think it's, it's not to try and change too much too soon. That's where burnout lives. I'm definitely going to listen to the burnout uh, session myself because often for me, I'm just like everybody else. I know that I'm yeah. burnt out when I'm burnt out. And yeah. that's late because I'm already burnt out. <laughs> I want to avoid <laughs> that. Um, and, and so it, it's, it's recognizing that becoming a really good human being takes time and effort. It has nothing to do with age. Uh, your right. emotional intelligence, as Daniel Goldman found, your emotional intelligence never stops developing, never stops evolving, but you've got to want to do it. Um, so, it, you know, I like micro learning. Uh, personally, I like uh, reading blogs, reading books, making notes, challenging my biases, challenging the things that the way that I act. Um, and just try and find in different ways to be a better human being. But your own expectation is don't don't be like you know you know this time next year I want to be the best human being in the world. Just work towards being a little bit better every day, as Dan Pink said. Just be a little bit better every day. Take on some feedback and be relentless in your thirst for knowledge and learning. Oh, that's so fantastic. Yes. And speaking of thirst and learning and knowledge, make sure that you check out Colin's session as a part of the PMO Impact Summit. Just go to PMOImpactSummit.com and check out his session. It is fantastic and dives deeper into specific techniques and ways that you can build your leadership capabilities. Um, Colin, this has been fantastic. I'm so grateful that you've taken the time to share with this audience. And this is exactly the kind of things we need to be thinking about as PMO leaders. Any parting words or guidance for the audience today? Uh, just to, to get on, listen to the summit. Um, if people want to know more about me, they can find that on, on there and, and the book that I've written. Um, but really, just, just pick up any resources that you can uh, that can help you just get that little bit better. 
Yes, exactly. And as you all know, if you've been listening to my podcast and are familiar with my community, I am always giving away top quality content to make sure no PMO leader anywhere in the world is ever left behind and has access to all the resources they need. So check out the summit, PMOImpactSummit.com, where we will be featuring Colin. And Colin, I want to thank you so much for your time today and for sharing with our audience. And as I mentioned, folks, if you ever get the chance to uh, see Colin speak, definitely grab a front row seat. It is definitely a fantastic show. And thank you so much, Colin, for being part of our Impact Driver community and sharing with our audience today. My pleasure, Laura. Thanks for having me on. All right, folks, that's it for today. I hope you have a great one. Bye-bye for now. And don't forget, this episode is sponsored by the PMO Impact Summit, your free live virtual event covering all things PMO. There is no other event quite like this, so focused on helping you make a big impact with your PMO. Make sure to go to pmoimpactsummit.com and register today. I can't wait to see you there.